Alright guys, Sammy and Izzy, welcome to the World XP Podcast, episode number one. It's actually a conversation that we were talking a couple weeks ago. That was the conversation where you were like, hey, you should start a podcast because you have good ideas. And yeah. I had like I had considered it and like we talked about it in the intro video by Dylan and I. We had considered it and then that was the conversation that we were like, you know what, screw it, let's do it. We'll get Sammy and Izzy on first episode. Especially because you guys have been at all the bunch of the folks at what, like five now, I think? Six. Six? Yeah. Yeah, so six out of like 12 days now, you guys have been yeah. uh, at these protests. And I went to one when I got, it was hot when I got tired for <laughs> like an hour. <laughs> so I, I can't even imagine like you guys being in DC at the, I don't want to call it more violent, but more potential for violence given that it's right next to the White House and all the rest of it. So, how, what, is, what have you guys seen when you've been at the protests? Like, what's your experience has been like? What have the cops been like? Have you interacted with them? Like, give me kind of like the whole rundown, I guess, of what you guys have seen, experienced, felt, with the rest of it. Yeah. So I was there, uh, unfortunately, on the Sunday that I got there. The initial incident happened. So this was in the very, very early stages of the protest. So that was right. still when the looting was going on and whatnot. So I went, and he unfortunately couldn't come with me. So it was me and uh, one of my friends and uh, she's pretty nervous going in because she heard about all everything going going on and initially i just decided to go to, i'm gonna show my support just because obviously sure you know i, I have a uh, stake in this so which I, was, I assumed i was going to go you know chant and and kind of like show my support and then head home because it was a sunday and, you know i wasn't really feeling uh you know going too crazy and work in the morning yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all that city so i got there and you know it, it really picked up quick. I got there probably like three o'clock mm-hmm. and then by probably like four o'clock, um, we were, people were jumping fences onto the White House lawn. Um, but we were, you know, I, I didn't, by no means I lead the charge and that. People just sure. jumped and I just kind of followed to get closer, you know, to, to start chaining to like the line of police officers that were there. And they, they were shooting like tear gas into um, into the crowds, mm-hmm. just like targeting certain people that were throwing stuff. Cause there were a lot of water bottles, rocks, sticks thrown. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I didn't participate in that foolishness. Um, so, but I did get tear gas and got hit, uh, almost got hit with a couple more bullets just because of that. Cause this dude was just kind of throwing stuff and hiding behind other people when they got shot. I wouldn't even start shooting. I so. feel like that's the, I feel like that's what happens. They throw stuff and they hide. It's like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm gonna throw it, but I don't want to get hit. <laughs> yeah, it was so annoying. But, uh, and then we started to go around the White House, you know, and this was honestly probably when it got the worst uh, for me because they blocked off um, the street and they wouldn't let us march. And that was probably because as a result of guys who were on the cop cars, uh, stomping window shielding, breaking light, lights, just mm-hmm. dismantling any cop uh, car that was within reach. Um, and I was kind of, I didn't agree with that. I was, that's definitely, you know, counterproductive. Uh, but the fact, the, the way they reacted was a little bit, uh, way, it was very uncalled for. Um, they had their battens, you know, they had, full ride gear, they had their batons, and they were linked arms, and they were like uh, pushing us and not letting us through. And then it got to the point where they would just start swinging at us once they, we got close enough. And then, because they were in such a line, different um, areas along the line would break out and they'd be pushing, shoving, and then they'd just come in with a mace and just start to light people up. Mace the whole line. Yeah, and because a few people were pushing, now everyone gets maced. So, yeah. and that was, I thought that was ridiculous because you have, you know, these African-American that there was probably like six or seven of, of the 15 that were there. So uh, actually uh, quite a significant amount of them were African-American, were people of color. So they were actually 
being forced to maze their own people and and, and not just own people but uh, you know Americans yeah uh, and and that were supporting showing the support for something that they probably believe in I hope they believe in it's almost it's it's almost I wonder if it's a policy thing rather than like a, they're scared because if you're if you're standing out there as a cop and trying to justify them just trying to get into like their heads and like why why they do in that instance like you're standing out there all day mm-hmm. like yeah you don't know what these people are gonna do because you've seen some of them go stomp on cop cars and then other ones keep their money in the middle so like, I feel like that's yeah. a very difficult situation especially like you were saying. In that situation, um, I think also it could come from like the orders from above. You know, you're you're gonna you're trained to follow those orders, and I think uh, you're all you're in the whole police force out there to protect themselves. You know, they've obviously shown over and over again that's what they do, and they're trained to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they have uh, with those orders, and uh, along with like just being out there facing the, the mob, um, you know, you're gonna be reacting in different ways. Sure, obviously. Not a lot of people are going to be understanding. Yeah, that's a hard. That's a hard thing. Like to, to get in the mindset of like somebody in situation on either side, the army dude on the one side. Mm-hmm. You didn't. Like, I feel like it's for you, because you're and you as well. Once you once you went afterwards, like you're right there, but you don't have the intent to go hurt anyone or break anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird. I don't even know. So, like, what was it like for you? Was it similar? Or? Yeah, so seeing um, what went on on Sunday um, and just nationally televised and everything, um, going in, you know, at work, I can't really focus. It's, it's Monday, uh, keep in mind. And then I get off work a little early, um, pick up Sammy, we go uh, hop and pick up our friend, Uber to DC, and I'm a little nervous, right? I, I don't know if things are gonna pop off, you know. Sure. Am I gonna get absolutely just lit up with raw bullets? Yeah. You know, it's very painful. Um, do so, but I'm, I'm, I'm like ready, you know, I'm ready mm-hmm. to show my support because obviously like it's, it's me, basically. Um, so yeah, just kind of, we showed up. Uh, didn't really really know what to expect at first. You know, I was like, uh, is there a certain, a certain time when things are kicking off? Yeah. But I did read at like 7 p.m. is when the DC uh, quarantine was coming, or not quarantine, uh, curfew. curfew was coming yeah. in effect, yeah. So that was going to be the ultimate cutoff, and they were going to arrest you after uh, 7. Mm-hmm. So we showed up uh, protesting, chanting, obviously, extremely peaceful. Um, just make, Everyone's making a lot of noise because it's what you do. Right. And um, I didn't see any uh, violence or anything, but obviously everyone was seeing one aspect. So yeah. in my mind, I'm kind of reading everything. I don't see, you know, a lot of craziness going on. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of go into the protest, get into the crowd, um, and then basically we, we kind of push up to the front, and you can just see um, just cops just lining uh, everywhere, and you got the National Guard as well. It's like a cop and the National Guard. So right. DC police was out there in force, and, and um, DC National Guard was out there in force, and they were riot shields, batons. A lot of them had the the guns that shoot the the paint, the rubber bullets, and the tear gas. Um, you could tell. So what they did was they were, they were lined out there, and everyone was chanting. Few of them take a knee. Actually, um, I think it was a few. It was it was a range of it was a wide, diverse amount of people. Yeah. It was a lot of white people that did it. A lot of people that just looked like, you know, they were sketchy. Did it. Um, yeah. So you did you did get a lot of a wide diversity, which is good to see. You know, obviously because that's what we're we're here for yeah. to support, um, basically like because Black Lives Matter, um, and then. 
they so kind of things digress and they moved up really aggressively. Um, I was not a fan of how they moved up at all. Uh, they just kind of moved up and lined the fence, and I'm, I kind of come face to face with this dude about a little bit short of me, um, and he has his rubber bullet gun, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I'm kind of just staring him down. He's staring me down, and yeah, I look in his eyes, you know, and he's. I'm like, I'm, I, I've been reading the body language of all these cops and all, sure. the, all the National Guard guys, and, and, and looking in his eyes, and he, he looked like he was ready to go. Like he he was excited almost. And it was it was really kind of chilling, you know. And I mean, obviously, like I was not really, I'm not gonna, I was sitting there kind of like just staring in his eyes, I'm not gonna be like backing down at all. Um, but then I hear kind of like a commotion behind me. So I turn around and there's, there's like, a, like they, that just moving up had already cleared out a good, a good amount of people. And I think it was just me, Sammy, and my friend that were there. And there's like nobody behind me. What? And then um, I look at the people, uh, so I kind of step back, see what's going on. And Sammy and uh, my friend are still there, kind of like having this face down with these people. And they were they were very like uh, a lot of cops, National Guard members that were um, showing empathy, you know, so like they understand what we were there for, but you know, it's their marching orders; they have to be out there. It's their uh, orders going to move up there, protecting each other. And it was good to see that, you know, it's good to see that you know you can that the cops can relate to what you're doing, but they unfortunately are have to you know, be there in force. Did you have yeah. interactions with the cops that let you know that, or did uh, you talk to them? It, no, it was, it was really just the body language. I remember they looked at our sign, they gave me kind of like a, had really sad eyes, gave me a nod, uh-huh. um, kind of like, we, we understand you, um, but like, you know, we just, we have to be here, kind of thing. Yeah, keep and, you on order and the rest of the yeah. And they were really tired. Like a lot of them did not want to be there. You could see they were kind of slouched over. Yeah. Um, they were getting yelled at by their uh, commander pacing behind them. Jeez. But then at like 6.30, um, I remember they rolled out, there was a mad dash. It was like um, everybody ran, right? So and then kind of came back because that's how, the, how like the mob has been moving. So it's like you run and then you go right it's back. Like wave, yeah. yeah, but you got to go with the crowd. Otherwise, you're getting trampled. Like there's nothing, there's no in between. Um, and then I saw this mad dash, but then I realized they had basically all the uh, police officers on horses right there and I saw them they're huge right and then they have basically all the cops and right here after, after oh, the threat you sent right behind yeah. yep and those are big horses exactly yeah so we and we took we took a knee and then I'm starting to think we're boxed in right like am I getting arrested am I losing my job obviously you know yeah. and then this, this cause is important but what good am I unemployed you know yeah. um, to my people and basically uh, I was trying to like figure out where we're going, but as everyone's taking a knee, I can I like walk across the street. I can see that we are boxed in, so they're trying to funnel us a certain way. But I didn't know if they're going to funnel us or just kind of keep us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and judging by the whole atmosphere and attitude, the literally the day before and the week, the whole weekend, yeah, I really couldn't tell you. Um, that's what I thought. And so then I, I'm on my way back over to where Sammy and my friend were kneeling. Um, because and they've been we've been kneeling for a while, like five minutes, and then the shoot shooting starts. They start gassing us with just a lot of tear gases, uh, canisters, and then they hit you with the flashbangs. And the flashbangs, they're no joke. Um, they the first two had me shook, but then after that, they they probably threw like a total of like twenty flashbangs. But after that, I kind of was used to them. Um, but yeah, the, the tear gas was very painful. Um, inhaling it, just coughing, um, like eyes were watering obviously and it moves you it's very effective but then they started the horses the horses were down and it was like you know it was like really shocking you know at the time but then you 
like adrenaline kicks in and kind of like instincts. You know, I mean, you're not like you're not really thinking anymore. You're just moving and reacting, right? You felt the same way. Definitely. Actually, yeah, that was uh, very good. It was a mad dash once they came out because you couldn't really stop because they were just trotting at you, and you had to run because it was so big. You had to run yeah. to keep ahead of them, and they were just running you over. Was that the day that Trump took the picture with the Bible? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was, that was the day. I remember looking at CNN. Yeah, that's why I think the words are not that bad. Probably. Yeah. Unless they were, that was the only day you saw them? Yeah, I didn't see them uh, beforehand. Uh, that was the only day that they had them out. Uh, but I did have uh, a couple interactions with the, the individual police officers. So, what were those like? On Sunday, uh, after I'd been home, like, uh, got hit with some shrapnel from a flashbang, and then I almost, you know, I could see robots flying by me and just hit flesh to my right. Mm-hmm. Got pissed and so I was like, Are you are you kidding me? We're just trying to walk through an intersection and yeah. see. So I, I fought my way up to the front, uh we were fairly close to the front, but I fought my way up to the very front and I'm staring this uh African American uh, woman cop actually mm-hmm. in the in the eyes and I'm like I'm, I look at her and I'm saying like is this is this what you you signed up to do? You you signed up to, to halt a peaceful protest, you signed up to beat civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, is it worth your, your measly salary that you're that you're receiving for this job? Like, is that what you tell yourself to wake up every morning? Like, mm-hmm. and she kind of like gave me the same like response that she had been given everyone else who was yelling at her because she's an African-American woman. Uh, and she was like, we're just trying to keep you safe. And I, at that point I was kind of like, I can't fault you for building the wheel because you didn't build the wheel but I can follow you for turning it that's a you, weird response like, if you think about it it's like you like you as a police officer your job is to keep us safe mm-hmm. right You're protect and serve the people but especially those instances where you see on video like you send me a video and then you send me a couple as well it's like you see people just walking through intersections or walking down the sidewalk and there's like rubber bullets in their mind. How does that make it safe? That doesn't make sense. It's like, it's a weird thing to, to think about their responses to that. Like from, from just like a, a human to human, it's like, is, does, is this making it more safe? I don't think so. Absolutely not. But yeah. where does that response come from? It's like a very, it's an odd thing to think about for some of that. So did you, was that the only one or you had other other uh, interactions as well? Well, I had another one with uh, this African male cop. Um, and this was after uh, we had decided to leave just because things were getting really, uh, really hectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my friend, uh, she was shaking. So I'm sure, like, yeah. we should we should probably head out. So we, we, we were on the way out and I was kind of like, I'm, I'm really curious because I wasn't satisfied with the answer she gave me. You know, the, yeah. I'm trying to keep you safe. I like, I just I can't I can't accept that, um, and I, so I'm on, on my way out, and I'm, as I'm passing the, the White House, the things most people have cleared out, so most of the cops are just kind of hanging out and, and relaxing, kind of sure. kind of regaining some strength. Uh, but I went up to him and said, "Hey, like, what is your opinion about all this? Like, how are you able to stand in, you know, support of your job and that your institution um, in the face of this, you know, this injustice, regardless of your politics, but." Uh, and this injustice and these protesters that are just trying to have their voices heard. How do you do that? 
and uh, he gave me a more heartfelt response, which was something I, I was satisfied. I took that, um, and he said, you know, I got bills, I got bills to pay. I've got, to, I have to keep this job. And he was, you know, he referenced the pandemic being, um, you know, who's going to pay my bills? Sure. Um, are you going to be able to, or are some of these protesters going to be able to? Because if I you know, step out of line, if I you know, take a knee, or if I refuse to you know, follow orders, then that might need to disperse uh, your protests or whatever. I lose my job. Yeah. Um, because uh, and because of that, he has to sit here, regardless of his views and regardless of his politics. Yeah. He has to comply, and that just kind of that was you know obviously it was a very brief response, but it, that just highlighted like the institu- It's not the people or the cops that are actually you know, causing the issue. It's the institution that they represent that's actually um, causing the issue, and it's not that because they didn't build the wheel. But they spun it by these these actions just because they don't have enough support, enough access to you know resources that will actually allow them to, to, to voice their opinions and you know show the support to some protesters. Or even just to stay healthy. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think I don't know the exact numbers, but it was on it was like the number of police departments that don't have that many psychologists. So like therapists, like ready to go. It was like, have some, but not enough. It's almost like and that's the thing where I like when people say defund the police. It's like, yeah, I get it, but also it's like maybe repurpose the money that they're getting because, Absolutely. like, if you repurpose the money for a better training program, you have better like access to psychologists or psychedelics therapists, or you like repurpose that money a little more instead of buying like the next new like Humvee with the laser gun or whatever it is, whatever it is that they want to do. It's like we have to make the training harder so once they become the cop, like that power thirsty guy that doesn't have friends in high school that just wants to beat people up, doesn't actually make it through and hit the streets as a cop. Because there's plenty of ones, like, I don't know if you guys saw the video with the sheriff in Flint, mm-hmm. um, who was like, we're gonna march with you like around the, yeah. around the town or whatever. It's like, there's plenty of those as well. It's just like, and then you see the ones like the ones you're talking about who are going to follow the orders because they have to feed their kids, they have to pay the mortgage, or the rent, or whatever. And it's like to differentiate that is like, and that's the other reason. One of the other reasons why we want to start this because everybody's story is different. You don't know. Like, you go up to that guy and you're angry. You're like, why are you doing this? And he's like, because I got to feed my kids. It's yeah. Like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's like it's hard to come to come out of a situation where you're so involved, you're so passionate about it, obviously, for a good reason, and it's like, you can't really argue with that answer, because everybody's on their own path of life, everybody's on their own walk of life, and it's like, why did somebody do something they have to do? Like, a zillion different reasons why, and that's one one of the things why we wanted to kind of start the podcast, as well as to, like, show people that there are a zillion different reasons that you or me or you or like never considered why somebody did something even if you don't understand it's like to try and get into their head and be like hey why, why do you think they did that and he's like you know yeah. um so i do know that you guys lived in nairobi for two years right yeah, so i want to talk a little bit about your experiences there and how it differs to your experiences here, both from the standpoint of like how like different things that you notice on a day to day basis where you're like, 
That's a little messed up. Yeah. And also just how the people are in general, like within the two places. So yeah. So we um, moved to Kenya uh, starting freshman year of high school, right? Obviously a little bit of a difficult time, uh, just kind of as you're growing up. Yeah. Leaving all your friends, starting a new high school. Um, yeah, so we moved in the summer, so that we I think we looked at it like maybe a month, not even a month, like two weeks before uh, school started. Um, so we didn't really know what to expect, um, but international schools are really good schools um, because they have full IB programs. Some of them even have AP programs to cater towards more like American style education. Right. And you have the kids of diplomats from all over. You like literally every corner of the world. Um, I mean, maybe Kenya might not be the best example for every corner of the world, but maybe like if you take like a European country, for example, yeah, or something London, like that. Or Paris yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, for but sure. Nairobi is like the kind of the central uh, hub for East Africa. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, because it's a lot more developed, a lot more safe, um, and it's just a beautiful place, honestly. Um, and so coming in, you know, didn't really know what to expect. Not, not as many Americans as I would have thought, um, which is kind of cool because you, you get a lot of different flavors from all around, like friends from Sweden, um, like from Netherlands, they were people from Germany as well. And they became like my really good friends. And I was, it was kind of a culture shock, actually. And I was just really, um, so it was hard to understand sometimes why people did a thing a certain way or said a certain thing. Um, the lingo was obviously different, but it was it was great to absorb that at such a young age because that definitely shaped exactly who I who we are today, you know. And um, yes, you had predominantly diplomat kids, and you know, with with a diplomat, you come gives you like stat, elite status basically. Right. And you are most likely going to be you're going to look very foreign. Uh, no matter, even if you're from a diplomat kid from another African country, you're still going to look foreign because um, you just don't really fit the uh, kind of like your average Kenyan look. Yeah, and your average Kenyan couldn't afford international school. It was like college tuition, but the embassy paid for that. You know, so mm -hmm. and so every uh, diplomat's kid would pay for that. But then you have these elite Kenyan people that like own the banks. Like one of my friends. Um, uh, like their parents owned uh, the bank, so then they were able to send both of their kids to international school and get a great education, and then send them abroad to college. Um, so it's like it's pretty interesting, but you also don't really get a very Kenyan experience. You get almost like a world experience, you know. Right. It's it's really cool. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, uh, but also you get kind of more into a. Um, you start to think and. Not that I felt this, but I could see people would think that they were better than your average Kenyan just because the diplomats, you know, and they are, uh, they have more money than the average Kenyan. But also, if you think about like a minimum, like if you went from like on your salary now, um, went there, you would be an elite, a rich elite, right? Like, and that's crazy to think, right? And um, just because like the obviously the social economic differences sure. in um, such a developing country and everything, uh, but yeah, so you have people that starts that starts to get to a head and they start to look down on your average Kenyan. I can see that in a lot of my teachers as well. And like, um, it was teachers more than the students, or both, or did it kind of depend on the person and how they were just generally as a person? I yeah, definitely gen depended on who you were as a person. But I definitely, I personally saw it in my teachers more and how they recounted stories and just expressed, you could clearly see their bias. Um, and you could see just how they acted out in um, kind of public, you know, 
Um, so yeah, it was very interesting, and I, I, I still keep contact with a lot of these people today. So how how do they? Get to you in a second, but how do they view? I guess I can ask both of you. How do the, your friends from the embassy and the international school? Have you talked to them about like what's going on here? Like how they view it here at all, or not really? I've been re- I've really reached out to a lot of them, but I've seen some of them post, um, you know, like Black Lives Matter, um, propaganda and stuff like that. And that you know, it's like really positive and uplifting to see. So they're, they're a lot of them are in support. So I'd be, be curious to see what an international perspective on this would be. That's not just from mm-hmm. the news or like whoever, just like your friends. I guess that would be that would be really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, so did you, how was your, so did you guys get to go out into the city much at all, or how did that kind of work? Were you mostly in the compound, or? Uh, no, we got, we got fully immersed in it, uh, and in, in Nairobi and schools and Kenya as well. Uh, we went on you know, all kinds of safaris, as well as uh, to many of the natural uh, parks that they have there. And it was you know, wonderful to see, it's something you, you, know, you never get to experience anywhere else. Uh, but more going back to the uh, the, the point that Izzy brought up, that elitist um, kind of ideal idealism that was brought brought in by the uh, elite Kenyans uh, to look down on normal Kenyans. I had a Spanish teacher sophomore year, uh, and she was she was English. Uh, she was white uh, English lady. She was you know, teaching Spanish, but she lived in Spain for something uh, for some reason. I don't know. She was cool though. Uh, but, you know, everyone was in love with her because, I mean, she was kind of hot, but, uh, <laughs> she started dating, um, I think she was doing some boxing, so she started dating a box, uh, you know, just like a Kenyan boxer, her teacher, I believe, and it got around the school, because, I don't you know, we had to talk, as people talk, yeah, yeah and, the, and the general recepts, uh, the reception of it was, was so negative, that almost people were like, you, like, you're doing, like, why are you dating him, like, uh, like, why are you with him? And they looked down upon him just because he was a Kenyan that was not of, you know, her, 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 her class. And this goes back to uh, the whole, is the, the socioeconomic structure that he was talking about, is that if you are a white person in Africa, you are, like, you're looked at as, as in a different light than, you know, an African in Africa. So um, if you are a white person in Africa, you can get away with a lot of things. Yeah. And even people like our color, you know, mixed in an app, you get away with a lot of things. Like, you can really just bribe your way through anything. Uh, but you can't do that if you're in or Kenya. So it looked as she they saw that as she is lowering herself and her stature, and she's willing to give up all the privilege um, to, you know, in the pursuit of love, I guess. I'm not sure what she was. That's a weird thing, too. It's like, but like, where I want this, I don't know where that comes from, but like that view on looking down on people just because of their you don't know them, they don't have as much as you, or they have not, I guess. But I'd say that comes from like just social structures in general. I mean, it's kind of been the I mean, obviously capitalism is the haves and the have nots, but I mean if you look at just history, like there are always people trying to better themselves and you know get up every morning to better themselves and you know when they're in a situation where they are you know technically you know better in a better situation socioeconomically as well you think you're more superior you know and you know if you if you are light-skinned or 
if you're white in Africa, you have money, basically. That's kind of, they're almost synonymous. Um, because I don't think I've ever met a broke white person in Africa, so I'm not gonna lie. Um, because there might be one or two in South Africa. Yeah, <laughs> but there's like a lot of remnants from colonial uh, age, like when sure, the British. People, people that stayed, even yeah, though the British British. pulled out people that stayed behind, yeah. Yeah, and they, they called them Kenyan cowboys, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, but they were the elites, you know, you, you saw like Kenyan cowboys, like wow. Like, now they weren't like royalty, but it was like seeing a Ferrari on the street. Yeah. Um, and then also the Indians, there's a huge Indian population because they were brought over to build the railroad. Um, but a lot of them stayed, where else are they going to go? And the British weren't bringing them back. So, like, basically, when the British left, they were in power and they were kind of, they kind of not like took over, but they became, they were put into positions to succeed. And that's why I don't think I've ever met a broke Indian in, on the continent. I'm not gonna lie. That's another thing. Um, yeah, so there's a few of them, but not not few. It was a good amount, but um, definitely a lot. They're definitely the minority for sure in Africa, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And they do all as well look look down on uh, Kenyans as well. Um, I think Russell Peters had a bit about that one time. He was like, "Yeah, I went to Africa. I stepped on the plane, and I saw I saw Indians, not one or two." Millions of us, and I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's super interesting that you bring that up. It's weird. It's like part. So I would assume that I don't like making assumptions, but in this case, I think it's pretty safe to to say that most of their wealth is a generational thing. Then, absolutely. And so, what is it like for people like that you met in the city that, like, you know, people here who are like on the grind and the hustle, and then mm-hmm. like a couple years later, you're like, oh. It's like, mm-hmm. how is that a thing there, or not so much? It's it's not so much uh, because here you have you're fortunate enough to receive the education, and you know the you have at least something mm-hmm. so that you're able to look forward and get on the grind and also get that, to that level that you want to start. Sure. At. But I believe that in uh, in Kenya specifically, you know, people are so disadvantaged to start with such a low, a low a lower level that it's almost impossible for them to have their sights set on something higher in the future because they just focus on their basic yeah. basic needs yeah. higher, yeah. hierarchy of needs for example we were playing uh, I was on the soccer team there professional soccer team and we play teams like these uh, inner city Nairobi schools and like they wouldn't they didn't have shoes they played yeah. us with no shoes yeah. um, and like I felt personally you know being a back in descent I was like ashamed that I was playing with shoes and like you know, I was playing these kids with with yeah. no shoes, and I was like, "Why? You know, how is this possible?" Um, and obviously, I was so young at the time—I was like 14, 15, yeah. 16 when I was there. So, I, these are a lot of like uh, summations I've come to, like looking back at my memories in, in the past. Because sure. at the time, I didn't know the process. I was kind of just like, "I don't have shoes." You know, they're, they're a soccer team. Yeah. So uh, I was so confused, and at the time, it was—I was kind of embarrassed because we get dusted. They were tough. <laughs> they were tough. <laughs> like. Like you could cleat one of them and they wouldn't even wouldn't even blink. Eat that right, right up. Yeah. Um, so walking through snake bites, and snake bites and bushes. <laughs> <laughs> like they were at a level where they were just focused on getting through the day and yeah. getting you know getting their next meal or you know I'm gonna make it to school and I'm gonna make it home and hopefully like I can have, find some food or something exactly. like that. So like that is such a different level than what most people experience here because. You have something to start out with. You have that ability to dream, and the worst part about it is, so what's so cruel about colonialism is you take away the native population's ability to dream of a better.
better future. And you can't, I mean, there, there's no hope for the better future. You just kind of going through the motions. What's, you know, what's the point? Yeah. So. But also the difference in societies, if you look at, in, in like the Western world, like the United States or Europe, you think, oh, if you made it, you're famous, you're rich, you're like a millionaire, you're driving all these nice cars, you got, you know, you live in the fast life, right? Um, but if you look at, uh, like in Kenya, like if you, you made it, you had a good job, like whether that was being a driver for a diplomat who tipped you really well, or if that was being a security guard, or just being um, a translator, um, you know, making good money. And that is called, you know, considered making it. Um, obviously, you know, they see that pop culture and see that stuff from Europe and America, and they want it, obviously, who doesn't? Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's hard to compare the two because you can't, because the culture is so different. Um, being like, and everyone's really about their family there, obviously, everything. Really so like if you can provide for your family food on, on, on the table for your family, that is making it. And whereas we grow up as obviously you want to put food on, on like the table for your family, but you want to be that guy. You want to be popular, you want to be yeah. famous, rich and everything. So like the be two contrasts between the cultures is a big shocker. Yeah, so even when I was in South Africa the family structure was hugely important there and I don't we notice it as much here. Mm -hmm. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Because you kinda come I think in the U.S. you can kind of have more of an independent individual mindset, whereas you, in Africa, like in uh, Kenya specifically, you, you need your family as a support system. Whereas right. here, you know, you can um, you can be a legal adult by 16 if you can yeah. get a court. Yeah, I think there's something to that, though, the family structure and the support of your family and people not escaping whatever situation they're in if they don't have that support of their family or people, like, spiraling into depression, drugs, whatever, like, whatever the situation is without the family, I think there's definitely something to that, but even here, as fortunate and as privileged as we are to have the resources that we do, I think there's still probably, I would venture to guess, probably been research and papers and, and all that done on, on the importance of the family structure, but I think um, that kind of leads us into where in America we have, I think there was some stat, like the rate of single parents in the black community has declined significantly. Mm -hmm. And so what do you attribute that to and how do you, if you could fix it, if you have a solution for that, like how would you go about fixing that? Because obviously there's other problems, right? Like just having parents is not going to fix all the problems. That would fix some, I would think. Um, but how would you fix that one? What's your view on that? So the declining rate of yeah. single parenthood or in African American communities. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, an interesting uh, statistic. I wasn't. I'm not. So by no means do I. Uh, I can't relate to this. It's not something I grew up with because sure. I was enough to have both my parents in my life growing up, and I continue to do so. Um, so. I definitely would attribute um, a solution to that would be maybe the, the criminal justice reform because um, I don't know, there's been a lot of studies and there's been a lot of uh, documentaries on Netflix and they've done great uh, documentaries on this that you know you are twice as likely to be incarcerated if you're an African American man. Yep. That's just like uh, you know, a proven fact of, of, uh, of, of many studies. And because of that, you know, 
that's going to take you away from you. Whether it's just you know a couple of years or it's life, it, that's taking you away from your uh, your family. And then I feel like as you are in time, or you spend time in jail, or you you're, wherever you're serving your time, you start to think, you know, like, am I good enough for my family? Am I able to support them even coming out? Because now I'm now I have something a blemish on my record. I'm right. So that I I think that can, you know contributes towards um, the the difficulties when you get out as well because you know what do you, what can you do now? Right, because you've got to stay on your record, it's harder to get a job. Yeah, and even building on that's just one aspect, I think. Also, like, historically, you you pushed uh, minorities and, like, the black community together in public housing ghettos, 1960s, right? Which makes sense. So you have, I mean, their idea was to, you put them in one place, you can control them, right? And, yeah, so you, um, and you, like, over-police them as well. And you be, you're building the wheel, right? right? And so if you're building the wheel, and there's like obviously there's a lot of there's an influx of poverty, um, drugs, lack of contraceptives. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing, you know. Obviously, you mess around like you're 18, 19, you're not ready to have a family, and you're yeah, messing you don't around. Yeah, and, and, and then you don't have your parents in the house, exactly. house to be like, hey, don't do that. And you then you, you create yeah. the wheel, you create the wheel, and that that thing starts is still spinning today. And you know, and mass incarceration, obviously, like. You know, sometimes um, your your father's taking out your life, your brother's taking out your life, or your bigger brother or little brother is taking out your life because they are arrested and they go to jail for huge, long sentences. For sometimes they are egregious crimes, sometimes they're just really minuscule crimes. But I think that yeah, and, and when you pull people's support systems out of your life, you start to become derailed. So then you can it's easier for someone to look down on someone and be like, hey, he's a hooligan. Yeah. Hey, he's this. Hey, he's that. Right. But you just don't know what that person is going through. Um, I know. I think it's also important to think that, like, once that wheel is spinning, how are you gonna stop it, right? You know, um, and it's it's really it's really for sure com- very complex issue. But I think it's definitely addressing social economic, um, like, just the, the the huge disparities in wealth in versus the African American community and minority community as well. Um, I think that is definitely one way you would be able to begin to like um, break the wheel, basically, and reinvent a better wheel and more sustainable wheel. Yeah, that's interesting. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, and if you think about it, you've got someone profiting off of the, you know, the un. Um, Involuntary imprisonment of someone else. Yeah, someone's profiting off that. You know, for-profit prisons or the even the state. You're someone's profiting off that. What if somebody's profiting off every single step of the wheel? Because if you yeah. mean, so you have the prisons and the state that they send like some of the state-run prisons, like they need to have mm-hmm. people in there. So it's like, hey, we'll keep the taxes up, and we need to run this prison because we got a bunch of people in here. And then you got for-profit ones that are the same, basically, except instead of taxes, it's But they need to have people in there to be paid. Absolutely, you can't have an empty prison. Yeah, absolutely. and so then you have the cops that need whose job it is to put people in those prisons, and they need to get money. And then you can say, "Hey, look at our overcrowded prisons. We need more policing. Let's give the police more money." And yeah. then the police are like, "Oh, we'll take more money. We'll go arrest more people because we can." And then the prisons stay full, 
and at the same time is taking people out of the households in the, in the black community and then they don't have the support that they need to say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna take responsibility for myself and I'm gonna study or try to study because the money is all gone so the schools aren't good and they don't have a parent to be like, yeah, you could do this. I remember when I was applying, applying to college, if my parents were not around, I would not have gone to college. Because <laughs> I was like, I would rather just sit on my sit on my butt and play video games. Absolutely. And so not having that person there is, I mean, huge, obviously, and it affects the rest of your life. And at some point, I don't know, like, I feel like Gabe has to talk about games a lot recently. Like oh, I, I was going to kind of touch on that on my next point. Uh, yeah, so sure. like kind of gang violence, you know, just looking through an anthropological lens, gangs are created when the state fails, right? Like the government literally fails that group of people. So gangs are its own government. Mm -hmm. I mean, and obviously, you know, they're not just because it's, it's like gang violence is not at all, I, can, right. I cannot, um, it's unacceptable, but that is their form of government because those people just took power base with it. That's when gangs come, um, are started. And I think that gang violence is a huge, obviously a huge plague in the black community because you just were pitted, pitted against each other um, because of where you grew up, where you're from, what your parents did. So I think that if, uh, along, this goes along with the wheel, you know, you have people in gangs and, and gang violence is so prevalent that those people are easily killed or arrested. So that's another way people are dragged out of your life. Or they take them in because they don't have a father figure or a yeah. family in the gang becomes the family. It's kind of like playing Jenga, right? But instead of just removing one tile, you're removing all three. Yeah. Right, and you're still hoping that thing just you know. Yeah. And then there's no way that it's gonna stay stable. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just being a kid in those situations. Like, yeah, like, I don't want to say like, what hope do you have? But also at the same time, it's like that's such a difficult spot for a kid to take responsibility for mm -hmm. himself. That's why it's like when people are like, oh, they just need to make better choices. It's like, well, maybe. I, that's probably part of it, I would think, like people can make better choices, but at the same time, it's like they don't learn to make those choices because of the wheel that we've been in the cycle Absolutely. that we've been talking about. So it's like, there's truth to both. I feel like it's presented to people in the, in the media as like, the right side is like, oh, they're all lazy and they just need to get off their butts and shut up and dribble and do their job, right? Yeah. They get a job. And then on the other side, it's like, they're never gonna do anything because it's all like they can't do anything because the system is against them. It's like, mm. yeah, they, I feel like the easiest, the easy, most kind of comfortable truth. way to, you know, just write it off as uh, like for like white people that don't experience this mm -hmm. is saying, oh, you can make better decisions and you're good, right? Mm -hmm. But looking at every other aspect, the system's created for you to fail, right? But yeah, you can make better decisions. Like, I mean, sure. for sure, if you, you don't. There are there are success stories. You can look, you can see and look around. People who have survived, persevered through all of that, and now are you know a very productive member of society and very successful in yeah. that. And so I think 100, percent you 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 have both. But I think it's super easy for someone to say this. You know, oh, just saying, sure. yeah, and they're taking like the easy way out because it's a little uncomfortable to talk and about. That's why it appeals yeah. to, that, to that group. And then at the same time, you have the other side where it's like it appeals to that want to reinforce the welfare states and they can't do anything so well the government will do things for them and then it's like there's like a reliance on the government which is also not good because then you don't really learn to I guess that's all you know it's like how are you going to get to the point 
where you need to be making better decisions when the system is not against you. You need to learn to not rely on that. It's, it's, it's a weird one because like you're relying on the system as keeping you down and you're never going to learn to get over to like this pot. Be like, hey, I'm going to do what I need to do to yeah. be successful. And it's like this whole weird like, so it's like this needs to be talked about. But at the same time, something needs to be done about this. It's like a micro level versus a macro level. It's like, what personally can I do today to make my life better? But at the same time, there's this whole thing that's really not helping your situation at all. Yeah. And so it's like both needs. I feel like both need to be talked about in a like a symbiotic, not symbiotic, symbiotic way. Like they're two parts of the same problem. Yeah, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think the underlying factor is well, how did you learn? Had to make better decisions. Because I had that my education. I had the education and the sports support the family, and the family was there because they're not in jail or dead. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely an issue because you know schools are obviously funded by property tax, and due to redlining and whatnot. The ghettos, uh, we mentioned Christian ghettos, we mentioned earlier. You've got underprivileged kids whose properties are not worth the same as the you know white suburban neighborhoods. Right. So now you've got these schools in white suburban neighborhoods that are like. Ten times better, ten times more funded because it's all laptops. And yeah, all the rest of it. And then you've got these schools um, that don't a complete disadvantage. You'd be lucky to find a couple desktop lap, uh, yeah. computers in there. Yeah. And you know, obviously, uh, being being growing up the way I did, I was blessed enough to uh, have always have go to well-funded school. But I always, uh, you know, for, for sports or for um, you know just other visitation uh, purposes, I would be go to other disadvantaged schools. Sure. And see, you know, some of the educate, some of the some of the stuff they were going through, and the, the stuff they had to work with, and that was something so natural to them. It's probably shocking to you. Wasn't yeah, it? I was kind of like, how is someone expected to succeed given this, given what they're working with, and they're, they're not even, they don't even see it yet. Like they won't even see it until maybe later on in their life, when 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 this time is the opportunity like yeah. passed, they won't see. Wow, I was really disadvantaged, yeah. and at that point, it's too late yeah. because there's been entire generations that have you know gone through this whole system, so. That is definitely one of the biggest issues. Like, for example, we were, we were playing a uh, school in DC uh, uh, basketball, mm-hmm. and we we pulled up and we had to go through a metal detector and had to be like patted down going in. Uh, so confused, like, who the school playing basketball? Yeah. We're not, <laughs> I don't know what we're trying to do here. Uh, and then every one of their one of their athletes came out and like you had to be searched as well, and they had to have clear backpacks because you you, you had to see the. Police officers had to be able to right. see right in. They didn't want to search every single bag. So you had these guys with see-through backpacks that were automatically just seen as these people that are just going to mess up and, and, and try to cause violence or try to you know disturb the peace or do whatever. Just you know, do some yeah. nonsense. Um, even if it isn't violence, just do some nonsense. And they, if you're seen as that your entire life, why would you know? You start to think. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard why? to like if you're told that so many times. Like there's only a certain number of times before you're like, wait, is that true? Like they start to believe it, you know. Yeah, like, it's, it's weird, and then like, you like to constantly be. So obviously, I can't speak to this, but I feel like seeing how the media runs things, like as you're constantly told that the whole thing is against you, you can't do anything. Like you need to wear a clear backpack, you need to be searched all the time because we think you're going to be violent or whatever. It's like that's. It's like the pressure's coming from the top through the media as well mm-hmm. not just through policing and the rest of it but it's like it's being reinforced by media I don't know if you guys find that like, how do you guys feel about that? It, uh, it's kind of a good question for us 
So like, so like, like you guys were saying, like we were saying, as far as um, you can only take care of something so many times before you're like, oh, is that true? Like, you feel like that's perpetuated by the media as well, like them like just barking, like, oh, like we need more policing because they're all like they're violent or whatever. Like, have you guys noticed that within yourselves? Like, especially being Muslim as well, like. Have you noticed that from that for both perspectives? Yeah, you can definitely you can definitely have like a lot of outside sources kind of just pushing you to be what they want you to be or what they think you are. You know, so you hear someone saying, "Oh, you're you're a hooligan, you're um, you're a danger, you're a menace to society, and stuff like that." Right. Uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be angry, obviously, but then you're gonna move in like you hear this every single day. Like you're gonna start to fit that uh, mm -hmm. template that they've already made for you, pre-made. You know? Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate, also, you, this is happening at such a young age. Your brain fully doesn't develop as a male to 25, right? right? And if it's happening when you're like 14, 15, yeah. that's crazy. Like, it's it, like it's looking, me looking back at who I was when I was that young, it's just like night and day. I can't even yeah. uh, I mean, relate almost. Yeah. Me as well. Like, why did I say yeah. that stupid thing? Exactly. Yeah. And it's crazy how more those your decisions back then can morph your life to right. how it is today now. Like if you say you got arrested for felonies and stuff, you I would no be in no place to be sitting here right now talking about this and I would be um, struggling. You know, I wouldn't be the way place I am now. Yeah. Um, which I'm forever grateful for. But I think that yeah, if you it's it's like I don't wanna make the make it like uh, seem compare us to cattle, but like if you're hurting cattle mm -hmm. to a certain place, like you know, like you have certain tactics to do it. And yeah. I feel like like the media and government and stuff like that does that in a way to like to the black population in the US mm -hmm. uh, which is extremely unfortunate um, you know like I have kind of personal story about like that you know just like stereotypes you know I was in se I was seventh grade I was in uh, math class not only paying attention because I hate math um, who paid attention in math exactly <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this kid who was sitting next to me craziest thing enough his best friend was black um, and he turned to me I will never forget this. And he said, yo, so like, why don't you have big ass lips and a big ass nose like the rest of them? And I kind of stopped it, just shook. Like, what just happened? And as a 13, 14 year old, I, I would think about that. Why do I fit the template? Why don't, why am I not, you know, like that? Because, you know, like you're in school, you, like you taught all these things, and all these things are shoved down your throat um, to view the world a certain way. But then I, I found myself thinking, why are my lips not huge? Why are my you know nose as big as this kid says, right? Which is obviously now I think it's just absolutely egregious and racist what he just said, and yeah. makes me angry now. But at the time, being so young, you don't know that, you know, and yeah. it's part of the process. The kid doesn't know that either. So that's like absolutely the parents or like the TV that he's watching or like something yeah, like it's that. definitely game experience, and, and it's it's uh, what like the white population sees the like black as, you know. Yeah, and um, movies and TV shows and the rest. Yeah, people like, come in all types like shapes and sizes. So yeah. and it's just, it was, now I completely understand that, you know. And just revisiting all these stories the, the week leading up to this, yeah, I kind of was shocked, like, at how many things I just experienced and just kicked under the rug. Um, it's just, it's kind of, like, scary. Almost, almost like, used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like a certain point. Um, doesn't even space you at some point. It's just kind of hard, dude. Um, well, yeah, I had actually tweeted something uh, earlier this year. Or, yeah. Um, I'm just going to find a really quick question. What was it? 
No, you're good. Yeah. No, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, I was uh, like growing up as you know, looking different than the way I did. I grew up in Arizona, Phoenix, right. Arizona. That's a very white um, area. It's got the, the demographics completely different. It's, so it's something that like you wouldn't expect looking at you know Phoenix, Arizona being so close to the, the border between Mexico. You have a lot of huge Hispanic population, right? Massive white population, and then uh, a pretty large minority of uh, Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And like Navajo and yeah. the rest that are still in there. Okay. Yeah, and they're all moved to reservations, which is unfortunate because right. those Indian reservations are probably like yeah, some of the worst conditions I've ever seen. What is is that fact that uh, Native Americans are the most marginalized uh, minority group in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, absolutely for sure. Um, but they, yeah. So that was un- really unfortunate to see it. So at such a young age, you know, you're like seven years old, got to right. in these reservations. Like, wow. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, growing up, I kind of noticed that I started to notice I didn't look like other kids uh-huh. uh, and in kindergarten. Uh-huh. And the kids, because before then, you know, kids don't really see race. You know, no one sees race. It's just another it's kid that's hot. playing with yeah. a race car and whatever else. Yeah, it's something we're just, you know, we're all just hanging out in the street playing. And I just remember, like, going, uh, I was in, as in kindergarten, coming back from recess. And we were all, like, sweaty because it was hot in Arizona. Yeah. So we were, we were sweaty playing. Come back in, and, and someone goes like, uh, "The girl's way hot," and then someone goes like, "Why is your skin dirty?" Oh, what are you talking about? Like, how small do you mean? And I'm like, you know, like when you were little, little. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. kindergarten, so like, yeah. why is your skin dirty? And I was like, "What are you talking about? I'm not saying I'm dirty." And they were like, it, "She, she was, was a little girl. She pointed out every single person in the yeah. daycare who was, uh, it's a kindergarten class that was white, uh-huh. except for me." And yeah. then she was like, "Look at your skin." And look at theirs. Like, what did you do to your skin? Like, yeah. why is it dirty? And then I was like thinking. I was like, well, I was like, well, I don't know. And then I was thinking. I'm like, what did I do? And then I went home and told my parents. And I was kind of like, what did I do? Like, did I do something wrong? Am I dirty? Did I not shower enough or something? And they were just like, they thought it was funny at first, but so I told them the whole story. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, now it's time to have that conversation. Yeah. And it's now like it's been ingrained for me, you know. Ever since that day in kindergarten, um, until up until now, I, I still get reinforced this that like because I look the way I do and because I'm a Muslim American in America, I'm gonna have to be that much better than everyone else. I can't give anyone a single reason or even the the, the chance to call me out or right. say that I'm inadequate. And you know, and it this also brings it back to the protest that everyone cared for a week. Fun little spirit week, yeah. and it's like you can go back to bed and you, you, know, you wake up and you have all this privilege. Post black hole square, yeah, yeah. To yeah. twelve hours later, yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. I, I wake up every day and my skin color is the same. You know, I, my religion is the same. I'm still as you know treated as a second class uh, citizen, and, I, and, it, and it carries over to every aspect of my life. And it's something I'm just used to now. Like I, I, it would be as weird as it sounds. It would be weird if I could get a job using my full name. It would be weird if yeah, I got paid yeah. the same as my white uh, coworkers. And now that I think about it and say that those things makes me ashamed, almost like to even think that was normal. Yeah. That yeah. you know I have the same qualifications, same yeah. school, same amount of experience, yet I'm de- I'm valued less because of my skin color, of my religion, um, and I'm paid and, and treated as such, even in the workplace yeah. and in daily life. That's so that's a weird one because you know like you know these people and you know they don't mean like you know, usually 
they don't mean any harm. Like it just happens. Because like I almost feel like it's a lack of exposure to people of other cultures and other other races and, and those sorts of things. It's like back to like like all the way ancient times. Like if you were in a different tribe, it was like your other. I hate you. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you don't know those people, it's like you look different than me. I don't like you because I've never I don't never met anyone like you before or whatever. Yeah. And then it's just like. All the way like back, yeah. brain deep, and Uncon- like, unconscious bias. Yeah, it's like a fear. It's yeah. like a it's Absolutely. like a fear of the unknown almost. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's weird. It's weird that like it's been turned into like like uncon- unconscious bias is like is a really good term for it. But it's really weird that it's turned into like let's do more diversity training. It's like once it gets to that point already, it's like it's, not, it's almost too late. It's like you yeah. have to learn when you're middle exactly like yeah. Yeah. to to do that. And, that's another interesting. Dylan, how are we doing on time? Good. Where, where are we at? Two hours? 50 minutes. Um, almost not even the same thing. Lose so track like, of time. Yeah, I, was, I, I just want to touch on it uh, quick. Like, going back to that, like, innocent racism that I experienced as a kid, uh-huh. you know, uh, like, there's a tweet that said, What was your first experience with racism? Um, and I responded, kind of, uh, white kids shoving pork products in my face, trying to get me to eat it at lunchtime, uh, calling me a terrorist, making jokes about my immigrant African father, also making fun of my names with where I asked my parents why they named me as Jane in the first place. Um, and then, you know, kind of like, I tweet this as a sob story. I, didn't, I don't want people reaching out to me, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you, you know. It, it, it sucks now, but at the time, like, you know, I just got used to it. That was normal, you know. It's just like wait, waking up in the morning, put your shoes on, you know, put your socks on, go, go, go to like, go to school, go to practice and stuff. So it was the normal, you know, but it's like, yeah, you have tough skin. And, um, but now, like, and I, I said, basically, I used to all that, and that was the norm. Like, walking without shoes for 23 years, you learn to have some pretty tough skin. But that doesn't mean, after all these damn years, that I don't, I don't need some, some damn shoes. Yeah, or something. Yeah. So I thought, um, and then I got a lot of, a lot of like, positive, uh, like, people reaching out positively. And I, and I just kind of wanted to, they, like clear the air thinking that that's not what I intended for. It wasn't a stop. It's like, oh, look at me. You know, I experienced it. That's reality. And like now I'm just now like knowing that was not good. Yeah. And that there's a extreme fine line between racism and bullying, you know, mm-hmm. and racism and bullying. I'm not at all downplaying bullying. I think it's a big problem too, but you know, you just can't, you, white people just don't understand how it affects a colored uh, minority kid uh, sure. to be treated and to just experience racism like at a, at a young age, like in kindergarten, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're getting stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's whack. It's like, because, you know, I think I've never experienced it. And I got lucky because I was exposed at such a young age to all sorts of different people, cultures, races, whatever. And like, I've come up kind of my view on. It's weird because you, you see you see people that have no idea that would be like, well, I just try and treat people with respect. And it's like, okay, well, yes, but did you put yourself in their shoes or try to? Which another reason why I thought this was the perfect first episode for this podcast is like, I want you guys to come on what you've done, and break down, tell people like what it's like in your shoes. Mm-hmm. People don't know. Because they haven't experienced it. They That's haven't true. been around. But I've been around you guys for like six years. It's like, I still don't know. Like, I've seen some things happen 
to you while I'm with you, but it's not directed at me, so it's not the same thing. And so I've been lucky in that aspect that I get to see it with you guys. Lucky's not really the right word. Lucky to be exposed to that so I understand more, right? Because like I'm never gonna understand like literally like have somebody follow me on Walmart. Yeah. It's just like it's not gonna happen. So it's like and it's a thing that most people don't have to think about. And then when it's like you have to think about it every day, all the time. Yeah. It's like it's like exhausting. And it's the same thing and then when like for people to be like, Oh, I'm tired of seeing this on social media. It's like, okay, cool, you can turn it off. You guys can't. Yeah. And like can't turn my skin off. Yeah, no, and that sucks. And then to hear it on, on the news all the time and then to have people be like, Oh well we need to give them more like welfare or whatever it's like and then you hear like just everybody argue about stuff that they know nothing about like on the news panels like a bunch of white people and they're arguing about what the black community is it's like yeah which the last time like yeah the last time go go get some uh yeah some actual people and officials that actually know what's going on they can, yeah. they can act they're, they're educated and they're able to depict and quantify the struggles that we go through yeah. because you know by no means am i a good you know a social advocate right? and by no means am I able to speak to the African American community right. because um, you know I'm, I'm a light skin because and there's a privilege there's a difference between a light skin versus a uh, full African American um, and that is unfortunate I have a light skin privilege like you know if you, if you see a whole car of us you know full of us are you basically going to think thugs you know drug dealers or something probably not but you might be like those guys are sketchy yeah if you see a, a you know a car full of you know at full African Americans, you're gonna automatically be like something's going on, something's wrong. Yeah. So you're definitely that's that's just a you know a small um, insight into light skin privilege. Yeah. Um, you know I have the ability to go through life differently than, for example, my dad would. Yeah. Uh, that because he is uh, full African American. Yeah. That's so. another example of like fear of the unknown. It's like you're slightly less unknown than like somebody who's full mm-hmm. would be so yeah. to like to like the vast majority of the country and that's what it's like and then you see the levels and how that's treated like mm-hmm. you said with the car it's like if it's kind of unknown it's like it's a little weird but if it's like full unknown then it's like future yeah yeah it's a whole it's a whole thing and then the thing is you need people in those systems advocates so, well, there's two things. So, one, Kevin Hart was on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, and he was talking about how he's working with Northwestern Mutual or Goldman Sachs, one of the big finance companies, to go into the inner cities and teach the, like black kids about financial literacy. Great thing. He made a point to say that some of the people on those boards were like, well, we'll just send our people in. He was like, no, you can't do that because they don't trust you because you haven't lived in that situation. You don't understand. Yeah. And so that's important. So like the people on the news that are like, well, I'm just go ask them. It's like, well, that's hard because you need somebody who is a go-between almost. And those people, in my experience anyways, are not that easy to find. Ones that can like have a, have a position to make a real change, have a vested interest in making that change, and then are willing to do it on top of that. So you have to like all those three things because once they're in a position to make that change, then they get caught up in the whole political system where it's like, well, I got bills to pay, like, I'm just going to do my job. I don't have a vested interest in making this change. I don't want to stick my neck out there because I'll get fired. 
Yeah. And so then it's super hard because you get somebody in that spot that wants to help, and then they get swallowed up by the political machine. It's like, yeah, I'm leaving, right? Good with keeping my my job. Yeah. And so then the wheel continues to turn because you can have those people in the positions to make the change that have a vested interest in making the change. Same reason as like why congressmen aren't going to vote on some of this because why would they vote themselves out? They yeah. don't have an interest in doing that. They don't care because all they do is just push, like keep people divided, go for re-election, and just sit up there, vote themselves races every couple of years. They're living it, they're living it up. Why, yeah. why would they vote themselves out yeah. of that? There's no reason for them to do that. Yeah. But then it goes back to, okay, well, what's the purpose of the government and the, and why have we got to the point that we have where they can just vote themselves pay raises and not vote themselves out and get sucked up into the system and email the like the, the media talking points for the day. And like, even if you're wrong, you can be wrong the way that the parties say you can be wrong and then you're okay because you'll get the next job with the consulting contract or the think tank. I think yeah. Crystal and Sagar were on Joe Rogan and they that was a great episode they were talking all about that. Like if you stay within the party structure, you will always have a job no matter what your thoughts are about that subject. And they say like they can go and watch the turn on TV and be like, Ooh, I know what question's coming next, word for word. Because it got emailed earlier, like from the campaigns. Like Crystal worked for MSNBC. She like the Biden campaign would email us what you thought. Yeah. How weird, like, and so it's weird. It's like you like you look at the whole wheel. No one has a vested vested interest because they're in the political wheel. It's like how are you supposed to change? And it's weird. So, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? Uh, I would start with the education system. Uh, definitely make it instead of schools being funded by property tax, funded federally mm-hmm. and even and equal. So if you start with equal schooling, mm-hmm. then Hopefully, do some some obviously it's gonna take some time, but generations will come out of school right. at the same level with the same uh, ability and same education level. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely the first thing I would touch on. Then I would uh, I would look at prison uh, the prison prison reform. That's you know you got prison labor. That's literally it's servitude. It's uh, slavery. It's modern day slavery. You've got African Americans who are in, in Texas. It is actually mandatory. It's unpaid to you know, perform prison labor. It's literally slavery, it's like the definition of it. Uh, the, that's that's gotta go. You can't be paying, you know, obviously if an inmate wants to work, let them work. Yeah. You know, that's obviously a great way to you know spend your time in uh, you know bettering yourself and, and send them send them money somewhere that we need to go send to the family or yeah. keep it in a bank account for them when they get out. Yeah. Um, but pay them the same as you pay any person who out on the outside would be doing it. And because the corporations are not going to have a vested interest in changing that because they're yeah. getting cheap labor. So Incredibly cheap labor. So And there's obviously some ta- very talented people that are behind bars, so that, you know, they're just utilizing that. Right. Um, and then I would also change the, the pop culture uh, yeah. and, and stop, like, I don't want to say, like, popularizing African-American culture because African-American culture is so rich and just so diverse because it comes from so many different regions of Africa because of you know, the whole diaspora, um, I would say just stop, uh, try to stop fetishizing it. Like, stop having these white kids running around thinking it's cool to say the N-word or, like, get tats and stuff like that or, you know, like, I don't 
just just act like a you know a clown here and there. Just just yeah. using embodying incredibly disrespectful racial stereotypes towards the African American community, yeah. and only when it's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So only when it's convenient, and you know you don't experience the the disabilities that they have, but you know when it's when it's cool for you, you can do it. Yeah. And you see it, man. I'm not definitely not quantifying properly um, for you know anyone that's 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 listening to this, but. Um, there's a ton of people, especially I saw this in college, um, and that was probably the worst experience for me because I'm racially ambiguous. So you you could look at me and you'd be like, I don't know what you are. Yeah. So I got I've gotten Spanish, Brazilian, yeah. Middle Eastern, all kinds of stuff. And I think yeah. it's kind of funny because I just blend in anywhere, so that's kind of nice. Yeah. But um, I saw you know, in in many different aspects, I see I see kids that are just you know like these average you know for lack of a better term, white boys that are um, running around, uh, I think it's funny, say the N-word, say, uh, some, of these, some of these, like, I don't even want to repeat them, they're just so disrespectful that they actually, or my feeling, that yeah. it wasn't even named at me. Yeah. Um, so, I, they just need to stop fetishizing African-Americans and, and African-American culture. That should be something that's enjoyed and shared, mm-hmm. but it, it should by no means, you know, you shouldn't have white girls being like, ooh, like, I want to try like some dark chocolate. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. You know? That's a weird thing. It's a fine line between like enjoying and sharing and then the line where it becomes like, oh, okay, that's not really okay anymore. Yeah. It's a weird one. Because it depends on the friendships you have too. Like, with like me, like if I'm with you guys, it would be not that I would do anything disrespectful on purpose, but like it would be tolerated way more if it was somebody that me or somebody that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird one because like Absolutely. it depends on yeah. we talked about this too, it's like okay, where do you draw the line with jokes? It's like well with well with us, it's like if we're hooping or whatever, it'd be like, Oh damn, your black side's showing today because you almost dumped it. It's like, oh that's yeah. funny, but like if it's somebody that you didn't know, it's like then it's like, oh why did you say that? It's yeah, like, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird one. Because it's there's like this weird like gray area of friendship versus not And going on that at that point, I think that is like one of the toughest things I've been uh, fighting with this week is just that realizing that like, you know, I had all these white friends going up and I was really good friends with them and they were really nice to me and everything. It's because a lot of times it was because they liked me and Sammy, right? They loved us as a person and accept us as a, as a person and, uh, but they despise and didn't, or were racist towards black people. So we were one of the good ones or we were, some of the good ones, right? Yeah. And they loved us, but didn't despise our people, right? And I would see this all the time. People would make sketchy comments all the time. And, you know, and I, just processing it at the time, I just, I just didn't know what to make of it, you know? Yeah. And just this whole week leading up to this, I just really have just looked back on all these different things that I've seen and witnessed and, and experienced that it's just kind of crazy that, like, um, like now that I understand, like, it hurts, man. It really hurts yeah. that all those 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 people liked me for who I was, but despise kind of like yeah, who I was. The ones like, that they didn't know. Exactly. The yeah. ones that I didn't know. My people, you know. Yeah. And that was one of the toughest things to come uh, to kind of like come to. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a weird one too because it's like you have friends that are like you said, but then you're you're just friends with them, and it's yeah. like, well, how do you know? It's like mm, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. So. And so, yeah, exactly going off that, like, I think that is, is one of the most difficult things to do, but I think my, the, the best person that has been able to balance the two, uh, 
that I've ever met in my entire life is my, my mom. Like she's she's a white uh, white woman from small town Minnesota. Probably had like three, met three people, uh, three black people growing up. Yeah. Um, and then you know finished college and decided I'm about to just move to the other side of the world. So yeah. she started off in uh, Thailand, lived in there for a little bit, did some did some time in Bangladesh as well. I'm also like fucking up the chronology of this, uh, but. Uh, that she, you know, came to Sudan, yeah. which is in Africa, uh, and it, so she really is out of this really incredibly small town, you got like a couple thousand people, and everyone knew everyone. Now she's in the middle of Sudan, uh, you know, you've got Africans everywhere, and she's just, you know, this white lady that everyone's yeah. like, oh, we're really? yeah. <laughs> like, oh, American, what's up, <laughs> uh, you know, so, and, you know, she met my dad, um, and it was, you know, obviously a really cool story, uh, yeah. together, and that's, that's really Really, really nice uh, to hear. Um, but even after that, moving back, coming back to the United States, she doesn't like say, "Oh, I can say these things because I have a black husband and because yeah. I have a mixed kids." She's incredibly respectful of what we go through uh-huh. because she knows she can never understand yeah. and she can only just support us. She, yeah. she can never understand, but only she can support us. Yeah. And just the same thing for my for my dad, you know, my father. So. She she embraces the culture and you know she was wearing you know uh, the traditional uh, outfit for you know women in Sudan which is really cool uh, yeah. to see her do to, to adopt the culture but not fetishize it, it wasn't yeah, exactly it wasn't like ooh like look at me I'm so foreign or I'm, I'm yeah. so like you know let me take a picture of me doing this yeah. on Instagram and then go change immediately so yeah. it was it's such a great um, experience having you know having her in my life. Growing up, because obviously would not be the probably wouldn't be here today, but you know, yeah. for having her in my life, uh, and just the, the her ability to do that and balance the two, and never once have I ever heard her say, you know, something questionable, yeah, or never, something even ever even close to racist. In, in my twenty, uh, you know, twenty years of life, yeah. I have never heard her say, and I think that's so incredibly difficult because of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, there's a Harvard. Um, there's like a survey out there and it just asks a bunch of questions and then it comes to turns to your result of, of you know your unconscious bias and I took it uh, as part of a class one time I took it and I was actually biased towards white people um, and I was thought it was so weird I, th- I was like I like to think of myself as you know some very inclusive and I don't really care what your skin color is yeah. I mean I don't really I'm not one of those people that's like oh I don't see race but like yeah. I'm I truly don't really care where you come from or like you know anything yeah. anything about you just because of the, the the open background I've been I've been raised in. But I was raised, I was like uh, biased against white people. And I was kind of, I was ashamed. I was like I'm half white. Like I can't be biased towards part of myself. That's just so it's so it's strange. And and it, that you know thinking about that and that result has been also and with these recent events um, that's been going on. You know obviously you've got the media painting as white versus black. You know. Going at yeah, each other. That's a problem. But that was something I see. It's it's calming because I see that the world is starting to see like what goes on in my head every day. Yeah. Because like that's that's you know I have, I'm white and black and that's just constantly going back and forth. Um, you know I can say the N word, but I'm also half white. Like yeah. should I be saying it? You know, and that's just such it's it's, it's maddening because when you start to think about it, because it, it it happens to me every day. I wake up and I just. You know, you've got these, these these controversial issues that you start to think about, and you're like, wait, can I really, you know, be the all judging, you know, make this judgment off it? Because you know, I'm obviously have this. I look a certain way. 
but I also am half white. So it's like, it's so difficult. And, the, and now the world is seeing this, this, this whole controversy and they're starting to see what a mixed person goes through. Um, obviously it's different for African American, but what a mixed person goes through in their mind every day. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a paradox, it's kind of, it's insane. Um, when I start, when you actually think about it, but for me, I don't, I don't know anything else. I don't know anything different. That's yeah. all I've ever known. So that um, it's it's kind of cool to think about, but it's also just you know crazy. That's funny. So you got education reform as far as funding, criminal justice reform. Yeah. That is that is I'd say more that ties into education, but. <laughs> Uh, just trying to, rather than appropriating the culture, try yeah. to uh, empathize it, it and embrace it. Yeah. That goes within education, but I think that's such a big issue that I, I, I put it in another category just because like something I've experienced and I've seen is kind of like, yeah. if you hadn't seen a rap song or a music video, you wouldn't be doing that right now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You wouldn't think that's okay to do, so. Yeah, definitely. And also, to go back to what your mom did, where she traveled, like she got that exposure to her and that, like, Exposure to different people from where she's, she knows, like, I don't know what you guys go through. Like, she has that understanding, which a lot of people don't have. But, all right, so we got those three things. Anything else? If you had a magic wand? Magic wand. Uh, that's definitely what I'd start with. Obviously, there's yeah. thousands of other things I do, but I think if I had a magic wand, those are the things I'd first start with. Yeah, good call. Mm. What about you? So I would start by empowering and educating the black community, obviously, and uh, making sure these um, kids are growing up educated and with the same opportunities as white kids, obviously, mm-hmm. and getting the same, because it's like, I think education is the most powerful thing you can have. Yeah, most powerful same, weapon same support structure, in the family world. structure, education, absolutely, thing, yeah. yeah, and um, also, be, but also, not abandoning who they are, you know, yeah. and kind of being still in touch with like your your background. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I can admit, like you know, going to college and just being growing up in America, you, you I like, lose touch with my culture, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, my parents split apart. Uh, me living with my mom with my dad, it was kind of like I lost touch with my dad and my dad's side. So yeah. it was it was great to kind of reconnect, especially during quarantine. Um, and stay true to who I actually am. Like that's my heritage. Like defines who I am, and like it shaped me today. So, I mean, that was great through quarantine. But I think that empowering the black community through education and um, jobs, and better opportunities for everything, and just health, sanitation, all of that um, would help bring the black community up. And also, like funding HBCUs, uh, I think it was amazing. Um, unfortunately, it was wasn't privileged enough to attend one, uh, but if I maybe if I like could do it over again, maybe I'd do it. You know, it'd be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that you know funding those more because you can see you can go to school and see people that are incredibly smart and they're exactly like you. And um, so, just real quick for people that are listening that don't know HBCU, yeah. it's historically black college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they would be you'd be around your kin, your brethren. They look exactly like you, mm-hmm. but so you're not losing touch with who you are as a person, but you are growing up in a fair society with like all the opportunities as a white kid and not the, the racial prejudice, hate, and everything that you do, just they deal with on a daily basis. Um, 
I think you'd, you'd find people that are a lot less sour. You know, I've, I've met some optometrists that are extremely sour at life, and I, I cannot blame them at all. You sure. Know? And I just pray that I'm never like that when I'm older. And uh, I completely feel exactly, never ever read to be met because sure. they were just cheated. You know? yeah. And um, so I think, you know, you, you, you get a lot more people that are just not like that and able to give the same uh, things to the kids as well. You know, you're going to, you're going to be, you're just going to hold fund a whole generation, a golden generation, basically, of the black community, which would just, just do numbers for yeah, us as a race. Uh, yeah. I think that also changing the prison structure, like Sam said, is ridiculous. I think that would, it, I think it is ridiculous now, but I think that'd be great uh, to do. And the fact that you can't have an empty prison, like that empty prison is bad, it just should, it should, Weird, run alarms in your head, thing. you know, because it's like you always have to have someone locked up, you know, yeah. I mean, even if they, you know, if let's say it's a perfect world, right? Like, I mean, obviously it's not, but, you know, it's just the, the fact that, that someone has to be locked up in jail for it to operate should not sit well in your stomach. So I think no, that obviously enormous, huge prison reform um, and just like the, just end private, like the, how prisons are privatized and, mm -hmm. and that you, people can gain uh, wealth and and basically monetize monetizing the uh, prison system. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just so many problems. Uh, I'm sorry, man, I just can't even really think. Uh, so it's got, we got two of them now, I think. Yeah, I mean, no, those just, are both good, but yeah. just to go back to one of the points that you made about losing touch with your culture, yeah. it's a very interesting point because America is kind of like, the culture is culture, right? it's like a mix, like, match mm -hmm. like, of so many different cultures. So it's kind of like, at what point does it's like, Okay, you have your Sudanese culture and your Muslim culture, and then also the American culture. But like, what is the American culture? And at what point do they like blend? And then what point do they not blend? It's like, should we all try to be considered Americans versus like, no, I'm gonna stay uh, in my Sudanese culture, and like, you're not part of that, or like, I'm not part of whatever. And then like, that's a weird one, right? Because at the same time, like during the Olympics, right, when you're watching, like, you want to be the yeah, yeah. But then it's like, but also I'm like this other, this other thing also. Like, how do you balance that kind of both of you with this? It's definitely extremely difficult. Yeah. Uh, I can't even give you a straight up answer. It's just like something you struggle with uh, your whole life. Um, you know, just kind of being mixed race uh, and uh, having and being the son of an immigrant. You know, it's it's kind of really tough to balance, obviously. And um, it's tough to go from, damn, should I be completely American, or should I be acting a certain way because I'm this? You know what I mean? Do you ever and, catch yourself when you're like, yeah, go Team USA or like who is it? Yeah, for sure, I, I do. But then I think I was born and raised in America. That yes, I have a war experience and I've lived outside of the country. I traveled to numerous countries. I've been very fortunate for that. Um, but I also do identify as an American, mm -hmm. and but I do also identify as a. Just like as Sudanese, you know, and sure. um, as like from the continent of Africa. So mm -hmm. I do sympathize with, you know, everyone from the continent of Africa, whether you're African American or first generation. Um, so yeah, it's, it really is one of the diff most difficult things ever. You know, I just like having to balance, especially, you know, it's, it used to be in the same place, yeah. right? My whole like life and everything was in the same place. And then yeah. after graduate college, you know, they split up. So it's kind of, both literally and physically, you are bouncing back and yeah. forth. And you're thinking, oh, what am I passing down to my kids? What, how am I gonna treat that? Am 
Am I going to force them to be a certain way? You know what I mean? Because we weren't really forced. We were influenced as well. But, you know, we could make our own decisions. But Have you thought about that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I was thinking, like, obviously I want to pass it down because I'm extremely proud to be Sunni. I'm extremely proud to be a mixed race, like, half African-American, half white. You know what I mean? Not all ashamed of who I am. Um, but I think it's it's tough to think, like, damn, am I really going to uh, do that? Am I going to name my kid something close to Izzedine or Shamsuddin? Mm-hmm. And like have the last name is Morgani, and you know them experience the exact same thing. Yeah. But like, if you think about it, as as a kid, if you're not like willing to, not willing, if you're not strong enough to take it, mm-hmm. you know, like you kind of it sucks. It hurts. I've I've seen it impact people a lot more than it's impacted me the same. Yeah. And I've I've seen it. In, I've seen it in the eyes of people when I talk to them. Like you know, just just about like just anything. It hurts. I've seen people at UMW. There was there's there's been kids at UMW I was talking to that like have struggled with it a lot more than yeah. me and Sammy. Yeah, sure. And me and Sammy, I'd say we have a lot thicker skin than a lot of other kids. You know, a lot of the kids are self conscious and it, it hurts them more. And I say it doesn't hurt us, obviously. But yeah. it's just, you know, um well, I'm sure sports yeah. like that too. Oh, you have the thick skin and all the rest of it. So you guys have a good spot as far as that goes, not that you need to be you know what I mean? Yeah. But that is a great question. Honestly, I couldn't even give you an answer I wanted to. I just couldn't put my thoughts. You know, that's what I've been thinking. And yeah, I think everyone balances it differently. You know, you could probably interview ten different mixed race people with uh, different nationalities as well, and they'd give you ten different responses. Yeah. So, so what about you? As in, in, uh, it's a really interesting question. I've been sitting here trying to collect my thoughts and try to articulate something. Uh, but obviously, American. African American culture is not Sudanese culture. Right. But I was raised as an African American. I have been treated in this country as an African American. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it has pulled me towards you know being African American. But um, and just be, due to the political situation in Sudan, uh, we will, I've only been there twice. Right. Um, there's, most, a, there's a lot of civil war over there and unrest. Or- uh, yeah. So there's a there's a 50 year civil war. There was. Uh, Couple genocides that actually was uh, you know, sponsored by the regime that was in power. So right. it was a whole mess of things. It was my dad being in the Sunni's military uh, before leaving my mom. Uh, you know that created some questions, and obviously going to America, you know, with a white woman has raised some questions as well. Yeah. Uh, so that just made a whole mess of situation. It was so difficult for him to come back. So he wanted to keep the family safe. So you know, I only went back once as a kid. And then 11 years later, he has full grown light skin walk through the door. Yeah, like, you guys went back recently, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah. in uh, December 2019. So going back, I'm like, dang, I've really been like, I tried to, I, growing up, I tried to catch myself because I knew I was part of something greater than the African American community, and that was the, you know, the Sudanese community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely something I struggled with always. And I, like you said, I tried to catch myself and being like, well, yeah, I'm American, but I'm not 100% American. Like, you know, I don't really like, I don't really like that. Uh, so there's certain things that kind of just like keeps you up at night, for real. Keeps me up at night. I'm, I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, am I do, am I doing things right? Am I doing okay? Um, so that's that's definitely a really interesting question now. But I think since I have been able to reconnect with my family overseas, um, I have been gravitating towards African American to Sudanese, um, which is which is. It's it's nice it's a it's a nice feeling. You feel like you finally figured it out. But obviously, you know, 
I'm 23, so I'm, I got a lot of life. A lot of, yeah, hopefully, I have a lot of life with it. Yeah. I don't know. I might go be going bounce back and forth. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so. there's, I mean, so I mean, from my perspective, there's no reason why you can't bounce back and forth. There's things that you like about each one, right? You can kind of grab those and like this is how I want to live. Especially like you're talking about like, what you would do with your kids. It's like, well, you can try and take the best ones from each side and like make it a little hybrid. But it seems seems to me like that's that's not a bad way to go. Obviously, like. But like, it seems to me like when I was thinking about that, even before a couple of days ago, and then it popped up in the conversation with like, Ooh, which I asked them, I wonder what they think. But for sure, for every every different, like, like you were saying, every different race will have a different, different answer. It's difficult. That's why I feel like America is a, it's a great but weird place to be. Because mm-hmm. it's not, like, you go to Germany, it's like, okay, we're going to drink beer and eat sausage. Like, some sauerkraut. Yeah, some sauerkraut or whatever. It's like you know what's going on over there, but if you go here, it depends on where you are. Like yeah. you could be with Sunnis people, you could be with Latinos, you could be with like, whoever, and they all have different parts of their culture that they keep, and then also different parts that are kind of like pushed more into like you'd say like the American mainstream, mm-hmm. and then there's like parts that they pull straight from the mainstream. So it's like this whole weird with at the same time it's like I don't have to deal with like, what you guys have to deal with because you grew up in suburbia so. <laughs> but that's that's one, another again I keep coming back to like one of the reasons why we wanted to start it's like I want to know I want to know yeah. that's why we're here and like if we can share these stories with other people yeah. it's like what good is it if you tell me right I mean like it's good because you told me but like if we can share this with other people as well um, I think that's a great great thing so that's like the conversation with you and we decided to start it and I think this is a good place to end the first episode so thank you guys for being here I really appreciate it love thank you guys stories very enlightening I'm sure hopefully you guys at home will have the same sort of uh, experiences and, and or the same sort of like reactions listening to just like you never know what people are going through man so Absolutely. thank you guys again and bye everybody it's been great